0: Is everybody starting back in? I know that was a long runway to get off the ground. Uh, Some of that might have been a repetition to you, but I think it's very important that we kind of have a basis of understanding this, the prevalence of it, the seriousness of it, and that nobody's exempt from it. And I I think Sherry will probably even, well, she was gonna say this, but I remember when we were talking about this, there are lots of different types of lusts in the scriptures and there's three basic things it talks about and, and we, we sometimes categorize them in, in, in intensity of oh, this one's way worse and when they did this with Jesus and Matthew in the Sermon on the Mountains he basically brought them back to the fact that you say you didn't commit murder I say if you called your brother a fool you committed murder he's letting them know that the standard that God has is perfection and that everybody falls short And the thing is, though, we want you to understand is that there is a difference between uh, one level of this uh, addiction or just uh, falling into the temptation into a complete addiction is the consequences are way bigger, way greater, and they affect more people. So there is something that's there. Uh, i do I do want to give you a little teeny bit of a background before I talk to you. I think this is really, really an important issue that we 're going to talk about right now, and it 's because most of the people i 've talked to that have opened up and tried to get some help have either tried with their own spouse or they 've tried with the church to get help, and what they 've tried is not working, and there 's a reason why it 's not working. When I got married i <clears throat> decided anything I went into, I went into all, 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 100%. And so when I got married, I was going to be super husband. And I I read everything that super husbands are supposed to do. And so, you know, all the different things, check, check, check. Well, that's really a nice thing, except for you can be a super husband and not even have a relationship with your wife. You can just do all the right checks. And uh, one day I came home and we had just started, uh, you know, living in our married little uh, trailer and I came in, and I don't even know if Nancy remembers this, but she was cooking something and the oil started on fire and so super husband comes to the hero like I would do any type of fire, I just threw water on it. (laughs) And we had now lots of fires all over the place. It wasn't that I didn't intend to do the right thing, I, I used the wrong method of dealing with a problem and it multiplied the problem. I believe that religion has really really done this with pornography, and the reason why is because uh, it's, it's serious, they know the things that Nick has just talked about, they know the seriousness of it, they know that this thing grows and it grows, and, and so in their mind we've got to stop it, and so basically they are going to say we have to stop, just stop it, don't do that anymore. And we're going to see why these efforts will not work. And uh, on your wheel, you'll notice in the hub of your wheel, the the inside of the top hub is Christ as your life. Galatians says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I still live, but no longer I that live, but now Christ that lives in me. We're going to go into that with the solution is that uh, literally nobody I have ever met can actually solve this problem there's only one person that can live this Christian life and that is Christ himself and we were designed to be inhabited by Christ so that he might live through us and as he lives through us the union and the oneness that Nick talked about the actual word in the Bible is the word intercourse that we would intercourse with Christ become one with him as he lives this life out in order for me to to bring this to light I have to at least take a little side trip here and let you know something that I'm sure you've heard before, but when we go ahead and try to stop something by our own self-effort, by just trying to do it, you're actually going to increase the problem. And, and to understand that, you must understand the purpose of the law. Why the Ten Commandments were given. Why the Davidical uh, Commandments were given in the Leviticus. All the different laws that were written there, We were told growing up, at least I was, in my church, these laws are, you're supposed to keep these laws. This is the Ten Commandments, you keep those. We see in the book of Galatians that it says that wasn't the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to shut every man and every woman up so that you would realize, I can't keep those. And you throw up your hands in desperation and say, I can't live this Christian life. And God says, ah, the perfect person, now I'm ready for that person. It's because Christ is the only person that can live it. That's why it says the law was a tutor. It was to shut all men up to drive us, to lead us to Christ so that our total dependency be upon Christ. So if you understand that, then I want to look real quickly at what happens when we try to uh, stop this behavior by just trying to contain it and stop it. And I won't do this anymore and, and, and we won't let our mind think on this anymore you already know that there's already God built things in you that will not do that. So the law does some things, and I think it's really important that we understand what are the things that are there. And when I say law, I'm basically saying you and your self-effort trying to stop this and trying to change your behavior. And we, we first of all, we go about it by two uh, different motivations. And here's a terrible motivation. Uh, let me get up here higher where you can see me. If my motivation is guilt because I've just done this, I feel guilty, which everybody ought to have some sense of sorrow if they get, when you do this. I feel guilty and I feel so bad that by God, and we mean that by God, I'm going to not do this again. So we, we don't do this for a day or two and we get over here and then maybe it's a week now we're over here and we haven't done this for a month what happens to my guilt it's gone and guilt was my motivator to stop so the guilt is gone so I fall again so I'm brought back here and I say I'm not gonna do this again this you've probably seen it with whether outbursts of anger or whatever it might be and so as guilt as a motivator is a terrible motivator but we try to make people you've got to feel guilty we make them feel shameful and guilty and then it works for a while and then they get over here and the cycle just continues and continues because guilt was never designed by God to be a motivator ever the other one is fear we're, we're fearful fear of being caught fear of where this will lead and so fear begins to entrap you and God says no let every behavior be from a pure heart and a good conscience motivated out of love and we're going to see later on the the solution that love will actually start to motivate here but fear is not a good motivator but here's what I wanted you to to make sure that you saw and uh, in Colossians it says if with Christ you die to the elementary principles of the world elementary principles is a word that basically the word elementary principles it means to take the letters of the alphabet lay them beside each other and it's the education of that day it's the things of that day that are telling you something and these elementary principles were saying if you have died to the elementary uh, principles or spirits of the world why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit your re- to these regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to things that all will perish as they're used according to human precepts and teachings These indeed give the appearance of wisdom in proclaiming self-made religion uh, and asceticism and severity to the body or buffeting your body, but they are of no value in stopping any indulgence of the flesh. And here's why. God has set up in His uh, design of this human race that there are curses that come with people that want to live under self-effort. And so if you think that you can do this yourself you can earn this yourself and they call it the Torah there's a Torah the law of the Bible but there's a Torah that is your own self imposed standards those things you're going to try to do there are curses that come with those automatically and you will not stop them if I held up this glass and there's water in this And I said, okay, there's a verse in the Bible, many of them, that said where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. And where two or people are gathered, you can ask anything you want, and it will be granted to you. If I ask everybody in here, by faith, believe as much as you can by faith, that this glass will hold up in the air when I let it go. And you guys all pray that. And I've been in groups of a thousand, and never, I better not do it, but never has the glass stood there when I let go why? law of gravity gravity. God's laws that he put into effect only three times in the Bible was that violated by him and then by one person he drew up into the sky these laws all five of these laws curses will happen if you try to stop this behavior or stop pornography or this with this number one it says in Galatians 3.23 that it'll keep you Distracted and it'll keep you in bondage. You will be, it's, the word there literally says you will be kept in custody because of the law. It will enslave you. When I've talked to people about eating disorders, especially people that are, uh, whether they've come from being obese and then they've gotten thin or whatever it might be, and I asked them, I said, on a, a normal day, if I was to go ahead and record in your brain, How many thoughts were in your brain? What percentage did you think of either what you're going to wear, what you look like, what you're going to eat, or how you're going to exercise? The normal response is about 80% of their mind throughout the day is filled with that thought. Does that sound like being caught in custody? You mean 80% of your time is thinking about your appearance, your weight, your whatever. That's what it means to be bound in custody. And and so a person that is going to try to go ahead and stop this underneath the law or their own performance, just try to stop it, it will actually keep them in bondage. They'll be in custody like they're in jail. Second thing is the Bible says that uh, cursed is everyone who acts or does not abide by every single thing written in the book of the law. It demands perfection. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, That if you want to go ahead and finish this, you have to be perfect like your Father in Heaven is perfect. So now, let's say that I was addicted and I was looking at pornography every single day, two or three times a day, and now way down the road, I'm going along down here, I'm a year later and I happen to just fall and look at pornography here. It will affect my body, it will affect my life as though I continued every single day. Because it demands perfection. And the condemnation and the shame will come just as much as if I was in it all the time. God designed that for a reason. and We'll see that in a minute. Uh, Here's one I hate. It gives you a destructive sense of responsibility. And here's why that is the case. When we actually live under law, or live under our own performance-based acceptance, we're really saying this literally. I, think I can earn your acceptance and your love God. I think I can do it and in a way God is saying well wait a minute Bill you were never designed to do it you can't do it you were designed to let the Holy Spirit empower you and live through you and in unity live it out and you're saying that you can do this then go for it and the Holy Spirit even though he doesn't leave you no longer empowers you and now you're in your own self strength trying to live this out and you will become exhausted it will exhaust you you will just throw up your hands because man was never intended to do it but because you now have to do it yourself you now have to it says now you have to begin to be perfected by your own flesh you're trying to strengthen this that's another curse here's another one the Bible says uh, while you were in flesh, our sinful possession or our sinful passions were aroused by the law Paul says I didn't even know what coveting was until you said thou shalt not covet he said now I covet of every kind and the thing that happens is the very thing you're trying to stop God has designed to increase and even arouse that sin even more and more and more Does that make sense so now you're fighting not only against these natural uh, chemicals in your brain You've got the power of sin being leashed, unleashed in you. In, in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says, "Oh, death where is your victory, or death where is your sting. The next verse is, for the power of sin is found in the law. And, and you remember Paul's comment as Paul says, the very thing I want to do, I can't do. The very thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he says that he repeats that in a different way. I want to do this, but I can't do it. And, and the thing that happens is the more I'm wanting to do this, the more it's aroused of everything I'm trying to stop doing. Does that make sense? Here, and then the last one is this. If you happen, and there are a lot of people in an AA movement that has stopped drinking, and think, okay, I've stopped drinking, you guys can stop this. You should be able to stop this. The word here says that if you achieve this, then you develop a sense of arrogance and self-righteousness and you start pointing and judging other people. By the way you never really were brought to the unity that God wanted you to have. You just stopped a certain behavior and you've probably re, uh, substituted for another behavior. Does that make sense? In conclusion here's the thing I wanted to tell you and we won't go into it anymore. To try to go ahead and stop this by just saying don't do it anymore, let's just not look at anything more, let's just stop this, Let's, let's take. And, and there are times when we have to do some things to help but for you to try to stop this on your own will only increase the power and here's what I have to say to the church how's it working it is magnifying in the church more than ever before and the very thing that they're trying to stop is now becoming epidemic and the very thing that they're doing is throwing water on an oil fire we're gonna try to give you a solution but I want you to do this To understand that to just try to stop this is going to actually backfire and go the opposite direction. God never, ever planned us to stop this way.
1: I have never spoken or worked with anyone who has conquered this alone. Never. I think this is one of those things that we have to invite other people into with us. And it goes back to what we started. So, my desire is to. I need to. Some people have that specific person. Maybe they're their accountability partner. Um, maybe they're so entrenched into their life that they know all about all areas of their life. If, that, if it's that person, awesome. But also, my encouragement is I think we need to, not just for myself, but for those that we minister to, those that we have influence on. I think we need to invite someone intentionally into this area of my life. And so, whether that be my best friend who just knows everything about me and this is just another one of those things, or again, um, I think it was about a month ago Bill shared in church, there's different people. I I might go to Darren for things in my life about finances and say, hey, I need you to look after me. I am getting in trouble here. Uh, but I might go to Butch and say, Butch, I really need you to be a part of this area of pornography and sexuality. And so if you would be intentional about asking me about that, if you would be intentional about praying for me about that, uh, let's, I want you and I'm inviting you into this area of my life. And so Butch may never talk to me about finances. In fact, maybe this is the only thing we talk about. I don't know. Uh, But I do think it's important that you invite other people into your life in this area. Husbands, wives, both cases. And I'm talking not just about, hey, ask me if I've looked at porn this week. If that's a part of it, great. But I'm talking about just how I'm approaching my wife. How, as a wife, she's approaching her husband. um, If you're single, invite people into that. How you doing with your sexuality. How you doing with your sex drive. It's there, right? And so just don't try to go about this thing alone. And I think that in and of itself will produce uh, all kinds of fruit, to be honest with you. And as much as just not looking at porn or being available to my husband or, you know, those things, it just produces this oneness and this intimacy that, again, will possibly saturate or satisfy some of what you're looking for anyways, if that makes sense. It's It's the desire to establish community.
0: Do you want me to do repentance on this time?
1: Uh, in just one second. Um, there's a couple areas. Okay, so even this talk, the, the times when I get um, tempted or desiring pornography is when, I'll, oftentimes, it's when I'm talking about it a lot and when it's on the forefront of my mind and when I'm engaging in conversation. And guess what? I have a feeling something in my brain's lighting up. And so I have recruited a ton of people even to just pray for me this week as we've been preparing. And it's like, hey, we're talking about this, Uh, would you please be covering me, covering Sherry in prayer? Uh, Because again, the more that your mind's on it, the more that your mind's on it, right? And so this is the thing that, whether it be inviting people to pray, because here's what's coming up, I have many friends that that will send out, um, wife's leaving for the weekend, just thought you guys should know, I'm gonna be gone and alone. And most of the time, just hitting it in the teeth before it ever becomes anything huge, is tremendous victory. And then do your job. If someone has entrusted their heart to you, take care of it, handle it, ask them, pursue them. A lot of times we're afraid to do that because it's like, oh my gosh, I was just tempted or I just fell or I just indulged in it for three days. How can I ask them? The point is, let's, let's take people who are trustworthy in this area of our life and say, come on in here with me, I wanna I want do this together. I believe that is one of those legs that we can knock out, and that's the secrecy. I think if we invite people into, our li- into this area of our life, it takes away that power. Real practically, as we're working on, as I'm working on uh, the things in my heart and the belief systems that are broken or the desires that I'm going this way, maybe it's the, maybe I medicate, as, as I'm working on that and God is sanctifying me in that, Why not why not position myself to succeed right? Why not have um invite someone into your life, have internet filters, have internet blocks, do those things that are very practical, that are very everyday, so they put me in a better position to succeed. Coaching baseball, I try to get people to be into the proper hitting position to start with. Now you could possibly have a good swing with all kinds of stances. But why not put them in a position that if you start right, there's a better chance you're going to carry out the swing right. Same thing with this. Uh, there's, if you want to write anything down, going to. these are not the only companies or ministries who do this, but there's an organization, uh, xxxchurch.com. Uh, there basically you can do free internet reporting things where everything that I look on on my laptop, uh, my friend Mike and my wife, get a report. And so they can say, hey, I saw some of this. Um, those are just reporting things. Covenant Eyes does the same thing. There's other, there's other levels where maybe there's a block. Instead of just reporting, this doesn't let me go to any website that is um, pornographic. Or maybe this doesn't even let me go to any website that is considered adult. All these things. Uh, there's really no reason for us not to have some of those things in our life. Whether we struggle or whether we don't. And I get, you're going to run into some that don't work well, or they slow your computer down, or you can't go on to Craigslist, or things like that. If you want it bad enough, there's workarounds. There's, there's areas that people can say, okay, I'll let you on Craigslist if you need to, or I'll let you on this workout website if you need to. But it's just protecting us and positioning ourselves so that, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of just blocks, because if that's my only motivator, then it's only gonna last so long. But I'm a huge fan of having those blocks, having those safeguards, and having those reports just so now Butch and I can have the conversation. It's still about relationship. There's another one called Open DNS. Open DNS basically is router-based, meaning, uh, you know, we have a lot of devices in our home. So whether it's a smartphone, whether it's a laptop, whether it's a kid's Kindle, uh, the router-based thing is basically, instead of going just through vast or mid-continent, and then to your device, it has to go through this filter, so to speak and then out to my devices. So now it covers a lot of areas of my life. So again, those are just very, very practical things that are going to cut the leg off the isolation, the accessibility, or the secrecy. So I think it's relationship, it's safeguards. This doesn't mean, I I just don't see a lot of reason why most people shouldn't have something like this in place, whether it be for yourself, whether it be for your kids. And I don't really want to hide behind for your kids. I mean, we do it in a big way for your kids. But I want that. I need that for me. Whether it's a struggle, whether I use it every once in a while, whether I'm addicted to it, why not put it in place? Especially if it's free. Uh, We do want to talk about the difference between shame and guilt that would be from the enemy that would cause or promote isolation and hiding from people and from God versus true godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And so I think why don't you kick kick that off if you would? Dad.
0: This is an area that I I think is essential and when I see people that really have had victory, it's because they have applied this situation as well. And I wanna make sure that you hear what I'm saying because uh, I think a lot of terminology today, you can hear something and you throw it through the grid, you've already heard it. When I talk about repentance, and I think repentance is important to understand the full meaning of it, uh, I I wanna first of all make sure you realize that when a person gets honest and repents and, and identifies this sin, it is not for the purpose of condemnation. Romans 8 one says there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus God himself the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit saw every sin that you and I would ever commit and in Colossians says he removed it as far as the East is from the West never to hold it against you again and he said it is finished completely done you will never be held accountable for that sin and he doesn't even bring it up for any reason that you have to pay penalty you need to understand that before I tell you this next part. I do believe, though, Satan comes, it says, daily before the Father and accuses the brethren of things. So if he goes ahead and he sees Lynn do something, he is going to come before the Father and he's going to say, what about your, your friend Lynn, your son Lynn, that you call a saint? He did this, and many times Jesus is going to say, it is paid for, I don't remember one thing. About it, and it is covered completely. But there are times that I think God wants you, and that's why I think it's really clear to know for yourself. That's why in 1 John 1 9, to confess our sins means to just agree with them and call it out for what it is. You need to know the seriousness of that offense for your own understanding of how your flesh operates your spirit God put a brand new spirit in you made after the righteousness of God you all in here are the righteousness and holiness of God but your flesh just is perverted every one of you it is ugly it seeks its own it always fights against the spirit and there are times you need to bring it out and look at it not for condemnation but so that the godly sorrow that God created in you would do its work, which says the godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and this repentance, it says the repentance that leads to life. That is the fullness of life, the joy of life, the union with people of life. Without true repentance, I do not think anybody changes. Now let me give you some some, uh, hard things to look at when Jesus was talking about wanting people to look at their self and see what their flesh was capable he just showed all kinds of things he said if you think you look at a you know commit adultery if you look at a woman you're committed adultery if he, and he went all the way down he could have continued down that whole process but I think you need to realize number one where did this start and when did it start you need to mark that down the Bible says know the quarry that you've been dug know that these these Things and habits in your life where they got started. And ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, I know I'm forgiven of these, but I need to understand my flesh and the vulnerableness of my flesh. I need to look at this nakedly and, and look at it, and it would it should disgust you to the point of a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. So let's say that you're somebody and you're uh let's say that well, way over here, you're somebody that. Uh, okay, you're you're getting dressed in the shower, uh, in in the sporting shower, and you notice the cheerleaders are walking by, and instead of shutting the door, you just stand there and shower le- like you didn't see it, and it would be open, and the girls come by and, they, Who! And, and somehow they look at you, and you need to look at that and say, uh, that was a, a. Uh, what do you call it when you expose yourself? Exhibitionist. Uh, exhibitionist. My flesh is an exhibitionist. Taking it all the way out is I stand and, and get naked before people just to exhibit my body. You need to take it to its full account. And so whatever that it is in pornography, you need to look at and think, oh, it wasn't just anything here. No, it's a perversion of it. You need to know what your flesh is capable of it if you get honest with this literally if you get honest with this and I've done it with numerous people they're over here and you've got to be careful to try to build them up because they are so broken down at the perversion of their flesh and what they're capable of I believe if they don't come there and don't come to this place you won't create a godly sorrow and godly sorrow, it says over here, is this is the kind of godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And that repentance means, I am going to turn this around. I do not want to be a part of that part of me. And by the way, you will never get your flesh to act better. I remember when Billy Graham and a whole bunch of people had gone to a conference, and they were in a conference, and Billy Graham was probably 70, late 70s, and a guy named Vance uh, Hafner was teaching them, and he was in his 90s and I remember Billy Graham and some people said they got alone and they had a breakout session like we're gonna have and and I remember I don't know if it was Billy Graham or somebody said well Vance when did you ever get a grip on this lust and he's 90 and he says I haven't he's basically saying "If you're gonna try to perfect the flesh or even change the flesh it will never change it is at war with the spirit and I think in my life, whenever I've really gotten honest and brought into the open and called something for what it was, it crushed me. If I've gossiped about somebody, if I, if I gossiped about you, Butch, and, I, and then God brought it to, to my surface of my mind and I realized that I'd hurt you, I'd sliced you, I'd damaged your reputation, it should bring such a sorrow to me that I am just embarrassed by that in a way not for condemnation but for the reason I hate it and I am going to bring that up And the word says if you will bring it up God says then I'll cleanse you from all other unrighteousness the rest of it is cleaned out so I hope you hear me that without really looking at this we're, we're saying that this happens it's there it's available but I want you to know that every time it happens it's it's horrible there's I think it's important
1: I had a guy describe an image to me one time that he, so many times when we see something horrible in our life, when we see sin and we allow ourselves to see it for what it is, we get this idea that there's this, there's this pile of our sin right here and God's on the other side of that thing, saying, you need, to, you need to take care of this. And that is not in line with Scripture. God is always, I think he's side by side with me, looking at this thing and saying, I will continue to walk with you, and the first place I want to go is, let's take care of this. Let's take care of this where God does not separate or remove himself in those areas and I think that is the difference between this shame and this guilt that I that I wallow in or that I beat myself up in and being willing I don't think we are willing to see how horrible my sin is unless I do know how great God's grace in the cross is I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit convicts And as soon as I see my sin for what it is, he he comforts me. As soon as I see that, he marches me underneath the cross and says, you have been cleansed with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so on one side, if I don't see the grotesqueness of my sin, the cross doesn't mean very much to me. But on the other, I don't think I even can be willing to see the extent of my sin unless I do know how great the cross is or we are capable of so much, and it's not as... If I know, yep, you guys don't know the half of how horrible I am. And even Satan, as he whispers condemnation to me, it's like, you don't know the half of hor- how horrible I am. And that's not that scary to say when you know that Jesus Christ has cleansed me altogether completely. Then you can face that, and it's not a big deal maybe it is a big deal.
0: And, and when you go back and reclaim some of those ground, also look at your parents, uh, see if there's anything that you know about them and, and their, their lusts, and go ahead and bring those up because there are generational things that I told you about earlier that if my dad didn't address this issue, and then I wanna make sure that I'm gonna stop it, on my watch it's gonna stop, go back and even bring that up and-, uh, and That'd be a good interview, huh?
1: Yeah. Dad, I want to talk to you. What do you struggle with?
0: I think, I think it's pretty obvious when it gets pretty bad. But there are some things that I think you can go back. Maybe a first thing that maybe you were abused. Maybe something happened to you. Still there's things that happen. Go back to that and say, okay, what belief systems did I learn or at, at that time? Just bring things out. Don't be afraid to bring them out and set them up there. Ephesians says in Ephesians 5, if you'll bring this into the light, will not the Son of God shine on this and bring healing to it? I've seen people that just exposed stuff and they were done. They didn't have to do anything more and this was over. Just by getting honest and leading to repentance, they just began to expose it for what it really was. Uh,
1: um, we're going to do some gender breakout sessions in about five minutes. Uh, but I, I want to leave you with something before we... So we'll probably... To start with, we'll have the guys stay in here and come up front. And actually, Nance and Sherry are going to address you for a little bit. Gals, uh, Bill and I are going to go to the gathering place, uh, which is right, the door's right there. And we'll address you and then we'll switch facilitators and teachers and we'll have some time with the guys and they'll have some time with the girls. Um, But before I do that, I really want to touch on one thing and give you a tool. um, Because I really think 2 Peter talks about Uh, these godly qualities in our life. And there's a verse that says, if you do not have these in your life, you have forgotten that you have been cleansed with your sin. And to me, that's such a powerful verse because it talks about when I recognize my position before God as a believer in Christ Jesus, that is the power to live, where my identity and my life being hid in Jesus Christ, that is where victory comes in that alone. It's like that is talking about the hub of that wheel. And so I want to give you kind of an exercise because half the time when I'm engaged in sin, part of it is because I'm not thinking on that level yet, right? Uh, and then there's other times it gets to that level and I just straight up rebel, whether it's selfishness or lust. Uh, let's, let's give an example of kind of how our brain works. Um, let's see. Amy, if I walked into your house, what is directly to the left? If I walk in your front door, what's directly to the left? Okay, tell me, describe something to me, pretty close to the door. Um, there's a oval mirror that has uh, some hooks to hang coats. Um, past that is a upright piano, and beside that is a blue film. Book. How do you know that? I live there and I see it every day. Okay, but how'd you know that right now? I visualize it. Okay, so you saw it in your mind? Yes. Was it like in video or was it like still frame? Okay, probably in color? Yes. Okay, so we just think we know these things, but really, Amy just pulled that, she's seen it before, it's in her brain, and she just pulled that up to tell me about it, right? And we all, we all do this a little bit differently, to but a similar extent. And so when we think through, I, could, I almost created, had her do that, right? And so here's what I want you to think about. Just as a tool to remind yourself that you have control over your thoughts. You can take thoughts captive. First and foremost, many thoughts that go into your mind do not originate from you. They are not your thought. It is something that the enemy threw at you. And just to acknowledge that is a huge step in what you do with it. As you see yourself, so you live. If I see this being mine, and if I see this is how I am, it's going to come out. So first and foremost, recognize a lot of the evil thoughts are not from us. They're the things that were implanted in there, and then when we start to own it, we start to entertain it, and then we start to live it. And so for one, I want you to, if you picture, if you have a sexually explicit image, if you have a lustful image, if you, we could bring it up right now if we tried, right? If you bring up an image in your mind that you feel like is wrong, is sinful, is pornographic, I want you to turn that thing into glass in your mind. And you can do it. You can change what you see in your mind. You turn that thing into glass and you shatter it. So whatever that image is, you freeze it, you turn it into glass and you shatter it. And then I want you to say, as 2 Corinthians 5.21, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Scripture talks about declaring things from your mouth comes from the things of your heart. And so in the midst of sin, whether it just be in your mind or whether it be an image on your screen, in the midst of sin... I want you to freeze-frame that thing and shatter it, and I want you to declare out loud to yourself, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What do you think will happen? This is Galatians 5.16. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. And the more... We're trying to create habit by walking in the Spirit, right? Right? And so if I have the courage, and I only think I will if I know that God is with me in the midst of that. He hates sin because it hurts me. He is with me in the midst of my selfishness, in the midst of me bad-talking someone else, in in the midst of me engaging pornography and gratifying myself. And if we can allow... His grace to permeate our life to say, I'm going to freeze this, I'm going to attack it, I'm going to resist the devil, and then I'm going to usher in the truth. Are you going to feel like a hypocrite? Maybe, but you're not. You are simply declaring what is true. And the declaration is simply a way to remind yourself that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In this moment. I would love for all of us to Let's try that. Let's keep that up. Whatever you get convicted about, wherever you're at, bring that, bring that up and declare it to yourself. And see if the power of sin loses its grip on you. And see if it's that much easier, say you still indulge in sin, say you still gossip, say you still lust. See if afterwards it's not easier to go to Father and say, I'm, here I am, thank you for your forgiveness. Praise God for his grace. And even thank you, not for the sin in and of itself, but like Paul, I boast all the more of my weakness because this was a very tangible reminder that I am desperate for your love. I am desperate for Jesus. I'm not running anywhere. Does that make sense? The power of this, all these little tools, still rests in the cross of Jesus Christ.
0: One, one thing to add on to that, and it will break, is when Nick said about... Uh, that voice I want you to understand that when when Satan comes he does not shoot this growly voice with cuss words it sounds just like you your mind in the back of your thought it sounds like you it's arrow shot in the Old Testament it basically the word is called ventriloquist demons and they are going to mimic your thought process and they're going to shoot thoughts that are effective towards you remember this Jesus heard all the ones everybody in this room hears. He was tempted in every way that all of us have been tempted. You know that's not none. He was tempted in homosexual. He was tempted in pornography. He was tempted in uh, stealing. He was tempted in all of those things. He was tempted, it says he was tempted in every way that us human beings were tempted. But he knew that Satan's name is the liar, the deceiver. And he tried to make him believe that that was his thought. It's not that the thought is itself was a lie. It's he wanted you to think that was your thought. And then he, he basically tries to accuse you the moment you decide, God, why, why am I thinking that? He's won the race because now you think it's you. You're the righteousness of God. This is inconsistent with you. If you're driving along and this thought comes, you're going to learn pretty soon that is not my thought. Get out of here, Satan. I've been made after the righteousness of God. The fruits of my life are these. Begin to identify the thoughts that are not consistent with who God made you as a new creation. And he explains that all in Ephesians. If that comes a thought there, that is not consistent with me. Understand that's how he comes, and half the battle will be won when you realize this wasn't yours, because then you don't give birth to it. Does that make sense? Okay, so...
1: Guys, stay up here. Maybe gather towards the front so you don't have to yell. Uh, Gals, let's go back to that room. We'll turn the lights on, the gathering room.